Thank you, Karen, for leading us in prayer. That was fantastic. Um, one of the things we spoke about a few weeks ago was uh, just this vision of Jesus' kingdom, that it was supposed to be a place where all people gathered together, um, every language, tribe, nation, and worshipped him in spirit and truth, coming together as brothers and sisters. One of the things we recognised is that that is in this world. There is still division, uh, oppression, injustice. There is coming up uh, on Tuesday. Is that right? I think so. Tuesday, this Tuesday. Uh, let justice roll. So the um, City Bible Forum is running it. I've got a video thing of it in the background, maybe. Um, it's happening on Tuesday night. Some great speakers speaking about how we as Christians can interact with this issue of injustice, particularly racial injustice. Um, it's online. Some great speakers. It's going to be a really good event. So you can sit at home and watch it on your couch, or you can come to my house and watch it on my couch if, if you would like. So that's Tuesday night. If you're interested in coming along to my place, let me know, and I'll give you the address, and it'll be good. All right. I'm going to, um, we're starting this new series on Acts. Our kids are out learning about Stephen this morning. I love that intro video. I'm going to, we're going to spend some time just listening to that speech of Stephen from Acts. It's an incredible speech. I'm not going to add too much to, to it. I think the Word of God speaks powerfully through the speech of Stephen. But before we get into the text, I would love you to chat to someone near you. Uh, what is the most precious gift that you possessed. So have a chat to someone. I'll give you two minutes. What's the most precious gift that you possess? Go now. going to keep going, but I love hearing that conversation. I love hearing people chatting together and laughing together. It's so good to be together as the people of God, particularly on a beautiful day like today. What a joy to be here. We're going to answer that question a bit later, but before we do, we're going to introduce our guest of honour for this morning. Uh, it's not me, it's actually Stephen, who we've been talking about. I love the introduction of Stephen that comes from Acts chapter 6. So um, if you would love to, if you'd get, want to get out your Bible on your phone or in, uh, in physical form, if, if you've got it, uh, we're reading from Acts chapter 6. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, 
uh, just, just a note there, I find it incredibly powerful that it's brothers and sisters at this point, not just brothers. Already the early church understood that God was bringing together a family that, um, and giving honour to all people. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. Sorry, it did have to be men, because unfortunately in that culture, <laughs> men were the ones who were able to get certain things done. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's a truth that um, all of us actually are grappling with. The church has to grapple with it too. It's this recognition that there are lots of great things that you can do, but that there are only enough resources and time and energy to do a few of them. I'm certain that all of you in this room are intimately familiar with that reality, except maybe Eli. (laughs) Um, There just aren't enough hours in the day. There are lots of great things, but not enough time to do them all. And there's a few ways to respond to this reality. Um, You can try and do everything. Has anyone tried to do that? I'm looking around the room. I know you. I know that some of you try and do that. How does that end up? (laughs) Yeah. Usually, um, a lot of you have more capacity than I do. Some of you are incredible in your energy and your capacity, but no matter how much your capacity you still can't do everything. And if you try and do it, you end up doing most things poorly and dropping the ball and eventually coming crashing down. Um, So it's not a good option. Second option you can do about this reality that there's lots of great things to do and not enough time is give up. Is just seed defeat and go on and enjoy life. Lots of people do that. The trouble is, that is not who we're called to be. That is not the way to life, actually. God created us in his image for a purpose. He has called us to great things, to be a part of his mission. I find it incredible that Jesus entrusted his mission to this motley group of 12 people who then went out and filled the earth. I I find it incredible that God trusts us to be his body on earth. I don't know why God gives us that dignity, but he does. He says, I am entrusting this to you. Go and do it. So the third option is the one that I want to suggest to you, and it's what the disciples do here in this passage. They prioritize what is important. They acknowledge feeding those is core business for us. If we claim Jesus is Lord, 
If we claim that God loves us, if we claim that the Spirit is amongst us, then we need to care for the vulnerable amongst us. That is basic first principles. Jesus is Lord, his kingdom has come, so we need to act like it. Uh, in the book of James, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts is as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This needs to happen. Uh, we need to care for the vulnerable amongst us. I know we've been talking about it a fair bit at the moment, but this is core business. It's easy to get weary with that because it's never finished. There's always more to do. But don't grow weary. This is core business for us. But, and there is a but, what the disciples acknowledge is that mission doesn't come before the core business of proclaiming the truth of God, of seeking him, of being responsive to him. So there is an ordering of priorities that goes on in this passage. Uh, it's quite spectacular that the disciples do this on the run. This problem comes up, like, right, we need to get our priorities right. Here it is. First, uh, we need to commit ourselves to preaching the gospel and the word of God because out of that flows everything else. Um, the gospel is the first priority and the apostles, we've been entrusted with this news about Jesus. We've been given the spirit. We have uh, the life of God amongst us and we need to dedicate ourselves to praying, to being responsive to what God is saying, to sharing that good news with the world. That's the first priority. You see, when it comes to priorities, it's not just what you prioritise, but it's the order in which you put those priorities that really matters. Um, how you order matters deeply. One of the things that the gospel does for us, actually, is reorder our priorities. Right throughout the teaching of Jesus, you will hear him reinterpreting what matters most. If you can get that right in your life, if you can get your priorities right, you don't need too many extra laws. You don't need a lot of extra teaching. You will naturally honour God with the way you live because it will flow from this understanding of what's truly important and what comes first. Um, Jesus' priorities, though, they tend to turn the world's priorities on their head. Um, he, he teaches us to go from prioritising self to prioritising kingdom from prioritising seeking our self-interest and our self-gratification to seeking virtue, to um, go from uh, being self-protective to being generous. It's, the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom because it almost turns the priorities of this world on its head flips them upside down. And Christian living is about learning how to live out of that worldview, that set of priorities. And number one on that priority list is relationship with God. That's what the disciples acknowledge here. His spirit, his truth, his commands come first. Above everything else that we are tempted to prioritise, obedience and relationship with God come first. 
That's why we gather together in this place on a Sunday. We prioritize coming together, worshiping, responding to the Spirit of God and the truth of God. The the question that I kind of want to put to you this morning is, is that your priority? Is relationship with God first? How is that expressed in your life? Or are your priorities out of whack? Because Jesus invites us, get your priorities right. Once you have done that, life flows. The life of God, the, the spirit, the abundance Jesus spoke about, that flows from getting your priorities right. It's a big call. It's a challenging thing to flip your priorities up to down, upside down, to put Jesus first rather than ourselves. That is a massive call, but from that, life flows. So how are you going on that? Maybe, uh, maybe think about it on a scale of 1 to 10. Where are you on that scale? Uh, I, I challenged myself on this as I was preparing for the message this, this week. One of the things that I recognized is that there's probably some things in my life that I need to stop doing. And there's some things that I need to start doing or doing first. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Oh, is it? <laughs> that was information I didn't need to know. Sorry for, for asking that question. Uh, after that, well, let me suggest that for many of us, it's picking up our phone. And I want... <laughs> well, that's a pretty good priority. You know which side your bread's buttered, I think, Neil. But I've, I've been convicted by that. The thing that I place first, the thing that happens as a matter of first importance in my life, are usually things that aren't that edifying and shouldn't be priorities. I'll leave that with you. I'm not going to follow up and get you to um, let me know what you do first thing in the morning, Sarah. Uh, (laughs) But I would encourage you, prioritise the kingdom of God. Uh, Let me be clear too. There are other priorities. I, I don't want you to just be praying and reading scripture and neglecting making your wife a cup of tea or getting the kids dressed and ready for school or cleaning the house. All these other things are important. God doesn't ask us to give up those priorities just to order them correctly in the way that honours him. To do the former without neglecting the latter, as Jesus said to the Pharisees. Great Great that you tithe, great that you do all these things, but seek God in spirit and truth first. Do the former without neglecting the latter. When we do that, the very next thing that flows, when we love God first, the very next thing that flows is love for others. I'd like to suggest to you, in fact, I'm going to tell you, that priority two for those who follow Jesus is relationship with others. God first, others second. Um, we live in a world in which um, relationship often gets sacrificed for so many things. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to value others and value people and relationship as our second priority. Uh, Love of God generates love for others. That's just how it flows. If you love God, you love his people. 
It generates generosity and mutual concern and love. So the disciples set aside leaders. They actually are thoughtful about how they structure their life as a community. Maybe that's something you need to do as well. Be thoughtful about how you structure your life. So they say, we don't have enough time to be dedicated to preaching the gospel and seeking God and to be caring for the widows and orphans. So let's be thoughtful about this and set aside other leaders who can do that. It's priority number two. It, our, our faith, if we claim to love God, if we claim that this gospel is true, it has to be put into practice. So we're going to commit leadership and resources to that. We're going to set aside and dedicate people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who can lead us and make sure that this priority happens. That's what we do here as a church as well. We have set aside leaders to lead us, to say we would like you to lead us in doing what matters. So pray for your leaders, honour them, respect them. They have a big responsibility, so help it be a blessing to them, not a burden. (laughs) Uh, If you're a musician, come and talk to Sarah, please. Uh, Speaking of burden, um, Sarah is taking the lead in our music a lot, so if you have a gift of music, even if you don't have a gift of music but you know how to play, come and have a chat to Sarah. Um... All of that was intro to Stephen. Stephen is brought in as a man full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. What a great description. I would love that to be the description of me that people use. (laughs) Ava's laughing at that one. (laughs) From the mouths of children. Um, He's a leader and he's released to serve. He's entrusted with a responsibility. Stephen, stop what you're doing. We want to free you up so that you can focus your energy and your time on this. Um, I love this picture of the church that comes through, this image of a people committed to relationship with God, um, flowing out in love to one another, being thoughtful about that, prioritising well. Um, It's a great picture of the church at its best. Maybe you've experienced some pictures of the church when it's not at its best. But this is what we're aiming for. Hold this image in your heart. Um, This is what we long to be here. A group of people who prioritise well, who love God, but who are responsive to the needs and the injustice that's happening in us. Who seek the kingdom first, but put it into practice. Who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and go about it in good order. That's the plan. We've still got a long way to go on that. All of our leaders are learning. I'm learning. God still has work to do in us, but that's where we're heading. Keep that image in your heart and help us get there. Step up, put it into practice. And the result of all of this? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You bet it did. When you see people living like this, trusting in God in truth and spirit putting it into practice it's like a beacon shining in the darkness it just lights up the world you you look at it and you have this sense of God is among you 
this is incredible. This is truth. This is how we're called to live. And I want to be a part of it. What do I need to do? How, how do I get in? And the priests who have been praying and longing and teaching about the kingdom of God, they look at it and say, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the hope that we had been prepared for and now it has come. There is this new stage in the, in the life of God's people and we're in. I love it. So keep your pitch, that picture in your heart. As we seek God first, as we love one another, the church will not fail to grow. It's, it can't help but attract people into it to say, I want to be a part of that. That is what life is about. I'm in. But don't expect it to go smoothly. That's a challenge because this world doesn't like light. If the light comes, it shows the darkness for what it is. And darkness always tries to put it out. So, let's jump back into the text. Hopefully you can follow along with me, Jeff. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue against Stephen. But they couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testifies, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Uh, that is one description that can't be applied to me. But <laughs> maybe, maybe you've encountered that in others. Um, people who... For some reason, the spirit of God and just the life and joy of God shines through their face. I don't think it is actually talking about him being handsomely beautiful. I think it's talking about that quality that you see in some people where their heart just shines through in their features. There's something about people who are on fire for God that is contagious and shines through. It radiates out of them. Uh, So... Stephen has been entrusted with the work of practical care. He is going around having cups of tea, looking after the widows and the orphans. But as he does that, he keeps having opportunities to point back to why he's doing it. Point back to the story of God and the gospel and preach. We do this because in Christ Jesus we're now family. We do this because Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is like this. We love one another. We live by the Spirit. We love our enemies. And the truth lived out like that is a massive challenge to all other ways of living, all other ways of serving God, so-called. So a group of committed Jews argue with Stephen and his message about the way of practicing faith. This fellow 
Did you notice that? It was a big four. This fellow speaks against the temple, against the law, and he wants to break the customs of Moses. I've forgotten what the other one is. <laughs> oh, and change the story of God. So in response, Moses tells a story. We're going to finish by reading this out. As we listen to it, I want you to listen for these ideas. Moses. Um, Stephen is going to explain that Moses was called by God to do something new. And yes, he is changing the customs because that is what God has always done. God has always called his people to do something new. He hasn't finished with them. He's been working towards an aim. And so rather than speaking against Moses, he stands in line with Moses. Just as God calls Moses, God has called the church to respond to him. All right, law. He'll speak about law. Law that um, the Ten Commandments in particular. Stephen will go on to explain that the law was never intended to be written on stone. It was intended to be written on hearts. That was always the aim, and by the Spirit, that is what God's doing. He'll talk about the story of God. The story wasn't that God was pulling together this nation called Israel so that they could enjoy a privileged relationship with God. God was drawing together this nation called Israel so that they could be his witnesses and that the relationship with God could radiate out from them and fill the whole earth, that there could be reconciliation, that heaven and earth would be filled with the glory of God as water covers the seas. That's always been the end point that creation's been working towards. And temple. The gift of the temple was incredibly sacred to the Jewish people. And Stephen is going to say, yes, God does not live in temples made by human hands. In fact, to think that God dwells in something made by human beings is called idolatry. The nation of Israel has always had a problem with idolatry and you are continuing that on. God now lives by his spirit amongst people. There is something new that has happened and the temple is superseded. Let's, uh, let's read the story. Listen for those things. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. Just to pause here, the law had nothing to do with this 
hadn't been given yet, which is kind of uh, Stephen's point. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering and our ancestors couldn't find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and his ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph, Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, why are your brothers? Why do you want to hurt each other? <laughs> but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I'll send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliver by God and deliver by God himself and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up from you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. 
That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and revealed in, uh, and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch and the stars of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I'll send you into exile beyond Babylon. Welcome back, kids. We're just reading the speech that Stephen made. So grab a seat and listen up. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. This is the point at which his hearers go from agreeing to everything he is saying to being completely outraged. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. It's great to have the kids back. Hopefully you picked it up. I'm going to speed to the finish here. Um, Throughout history, God has done new things. He called Abraham to do a new thing. He called Moses to do a new thing. He gave the law. The promise was always that God was going to dwell amongst his people. The temple was not his dwelling place. That was a stopgap until he got to the promise that he was going to make. And Stephen's message is, in Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise. The new chapter has begun. He came and brought the words of life, and just like you've always done throughout history, you rejected him. God is doing a new thing, but you want to serve an idol instead. You want to put something else in that number one spot in the place of God. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand side of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we'll come back to in the coming weeks. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold their sins against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Uh, I'm going to finish up. I'm going to finish in prayer. Two things. Soren Kierkegaard had a great quote. He said, The tyrant dies and his rule is over. 
the martyr dies and his rule has begun. That this event will scatter the church, but it is also an incredibly powerful witness for the truth of the gospel. That when your back is against the wall, that is when the Spirit of God shines through. Rather than destroying the church, uh, there will be persecution, they will get sent out, and rather than being destructive, this will be the birth of the church going out into all the world like Jesus has promised. That when we are under pressure, the Spirit of God and the truth of the gospel shines through. I find that incredibly encouraging, particularly at this time. So I'm going to pray, and then the kids are going to share... No. Oh, we're going to do a song first. Sarah's going to introduce that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the story of uh, your people and that we have been included in. We thank you that by your spirit you dwell amongst us, that we have that precious gift of your life living within us. Lord, that we recognize that our priorities are not quite right, but we thank you that you are a redeemer, that you are living and active, that by your spirit you are transforming our hearts and our minds so that we reflect your glory. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people who love you first, that you would, out of that flow with a love for one another, that you would draw us together as your people, that in this time when it's difficult, we would have opportunity to express that love practically, that we'd do it in good order and in a way that honours you. And Lord, we pray that um, you would help us shine, that you would send us out with the good news for all the world, that you are Lord, that we would invite others in, that they would encounter you in this place and come and join your people. So continue your work in us, I pray. By your spirit, empower us. Give us joy and send us out. Amen. So... um We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, Normally for all of our um, series, sermon series that we do, we normally pick a theme song. Um, 